Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. of the Right in the Gary Kelly's podcast. On today's panel, we've got Kaylee, Dan and Matt all joining me as we look back on the Leicester and Palace matches. We chat all things Leeds United under 23s. We're going to take a trip across the pond in Leeds around the world and we'll wrap it up with another spin of the Wheel of Wotton. Hi guys, how are you doing? Hello. Hey Vicky. Hello. It's been a rough week for Leeds players and fans alike. Two games, two defeats and eight goals conceded. In fact, should we just wrap it up now and call it a day? I'm not feeling this one. <laughs> so let's go back to last Monday's match against Leicester. We knew they'd come to Ellen Road, set up to hit us on the counter, and that's exactly what they did. So where did it start to go wrong for us against the Foxes? Probably the first minute. <laughs> like it, it, it's <laughs> You're not wrong. turned around as soon as Bamford missed that chance. And I don't know about any of you, but um, obviously I was watching it on the TV and I still had my heads in my hands from that and they showed a replay of it. And then all of a sudden... And Vardy had just squared the ball to Barnes and he scored, didn't he? And I was like, I couldn't believe it. Like, because he just completely missed that Cock had cocked up as such. And then, well, from there on in, it was just a bit of a painful watch that first half. Thought it's probably the worst we've played under Bielsa. I think we struggled with the conditions and struggled with the way Leicester played. I thought Cooper and Cock, well, cat the pants anytime Vardy went near him. Um, and, you know, the way Leicester set up against us, like you said, was uh, it was really good, to be fair, and it worked. And the first half was a big struggle. About half an hour before kick-off on Monday, I stood outside my garden, absolutely pissing it down, and I just thought, we're f***ed. I genuinely just thought, Bielsa, 
don't really have that kind of British style Monday night, Ellen Road, kind of November pissing it down performance in him really does he tactically with the team and I, I just knew it I just knew we were in trouble and then obviously when Brendan Rodgers came on pre-match and literally spelled out exactly how how, how to play against Bielsa again I thought we're f***ed <laughs> you saw it wasn't a surprise when Koch played that ball back knowing full well how heavy that pitch is and and we don't have the, the greatest drainage system at Ellen Road it's, it's quite a well-known fact and just that kind of not so much naivety, but just that having that bit of tactical nous. And it's, I'm not in a position to tell Bielsa how to tactically play against another team. But now and again, you've got to get the Neil Warnock scrapbook out and play that long ball over the top because Leicester certainly did that. And if you look how many long balls or counter-attacks went over to Vardy, exactly how I think the guys touched upon it there about Cooper and Cock. They they didn't know how to play against him. And it was, it was really, really worrying to see. And I think... Leicester definitely, definitely played to the conditions. I think obviously the Shackleton role didn't work as well. Obviously, he was hauled off at half time. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't look at it, it too disheartenly. I think Leicester on their day uh, can beat anybody in the league comfortably. My mate texted me and, and, and sent me a screenshot of the uh, Leicester 9 Southampton nil uh, scoreline after 10 minutes. And I genuinely thought <laughs> it's heading that way. But yeah, you know, like I said, on a good day, teams like Leicester. They'll turn anyone over, so I wouldn't have been too disheartened by it. But we've got to, in this league, it's unforgiving, and you've got to play to the conditions as well, especially this time of year. And I think a lot of clubs will be looking at us now at that hour playing, even still naive with playing along the floor. So I think the what I'm trying to say is we've got to adapt. Got to agree with Matt. Had it on the Ultra on TV, and you could see that rain pelting down. And every cross that was getting in was just flat. There was no air to the ball. The ball looked heavy. And Leicester took advantage of the chances and scored from them. Uh, Bamford should have scored ahead. It was like the first two minutes of the match. I felt like we should have scored from there. And we see Leicester straight on the counter-attack, immediately scored. Um, I think it was kind of a wake-up call that we needed in the Premier League. I think you know, we've been a bit on cloud nine for the start of the season. That was kind of dragged us a bit back down to earth. Um, as good as it was against Villa, I thought overall, yeah, we wasn't that great on Monday night. I thought Costa had a half-decent match. Uh, but every time Leicester attacked, it looked like scoring. Um, and in this league, you take your chances. And I felt like we did it really against Leicester. And Leicester are obviously a very good side. So there's no shame in losing to them. But yeah, I didn't think we'd concede more goals against them. And Jamie Vardy just seems to get better with age somehow. But overall, I thought, yeah, it was a bit unlucky. Like, Hernandez should have, you know, hit the bar. Uh, I thought that was quite unlucky. Yeah, missed a few good chances, but we just didn't take the chances that we had, unless they did. It's funny, with the mention of conditions, it's quite similar to that Man City game, really, in terms of the conditions. And I feel like, against Man City, you know how they're going to play every time. But then, as I think Matt said, against Rodgers, um, I think they were a bit more streetwise with us, and they knew exactly how they play, and they'll tweak their system depending on who they played and you know I think he said um, they wanted to avoid it being like a basketball match and I think they did that because you know apart from that probably 15-20 minute period in the second half where we got a hold of the game I thought they controlled it pretty well to be honest and kept us at bay even though like I mean yeah we did have a few chances I mean ironically we probably could have come out the first half at 2-2 if Bamford had taken both of his chances or you know we could have been winning who knows but I think I think it is a bit of a 
come down back to earth. But it's going to happen. We're going to get beat by quality this season. Um, and I think, um, as Kayleigh mentioned, you know, Vardy is probably one of the best strikers in the Premier League this season, definitely. You know, he just gets better every season. So I don't think we'll come up against many better strikers. Do, do you get a sense that that's, some teams are, are seeing it as a, as a really, really good challenge to play against Leeds, the style of player that we, we play? It's one thing I've noticed pre-match and post-match. You know, it's kind of the when when teams have got a result against us, it's kind of wiping that the sweat off the brown. Kind of say, well, that was a relief. And I think I think a lot of teams have come into the Premier. Well, we've come into the Premier League, and a lot of teams have I've seen as a, as a breath of fresh air. And the way that we play it, it is a challenge for them, and it's like they're up in their game as well. That's one thing I've certainly noticed this season, which is a massive compliment, hundred percent. Put it this way, Rogers will be framing his notebook after that victory because all his tactics came off <laughs> in such as against us. Um, and I think, <laughs> yeah, I think you're probably right. Like, I think teams have switched it up slightly. And I think the teams that haven't, say like Liverpool and Man City, we've done better against because it's been so such an open game. Um, obviously, Villa, I thought, was quite an even game until we scored. Then we took them apart, you know, so... Um, and the same could have happened against Leicester. If we'd have taken the lead, their game plan might have gone out the window. But I think it is it is one of those things. I think teams are going to be... It's going to be interesting to see how teams play against us uh, moving forward because I think the blueprint's kind of there on how to beat us, but you've got to be able to execute it as well. I think it's easy to forget also. We've got a bit of a injury crisis at the moment going on, missing a lot of our key players. We need to get, obviously, these new signings on the pitch, really. Um, obviously I know it's out of our control, COVID and shoulder injuries, but we are missing a lot of key players at the moment. I think that was really has been shown this week. The key injuries, I guess, in, in the positions that we need as well. Like, I think we've really struggled to fill the Phillips hole, actually. For the first time, I think everyone knows how important Phillips is to the team, but I think it was the first time, really, that we've been so badly exposed because of it. So I think an international break may come at a good time. For once, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> the quality of our set pieces was also flagged as an issue. So we had plenty of them against Leicester, but we do tend to waste a lot of those chances. Obviously, Calvin's our usual corner taker and stuff. But aside from Pablo, do you think we lack a dead ball specialist? Yeah, you're right. I think uh, it's ironic, really, because probably, what, 99% of the fan base mourn about Phillips's ability to take a corner and a set piece in general. And as soon as he's out a couple of games, we're crying out for him to come back and get back on corner duty. I think um, it was funny, actually, my mate's a Leicester fan. He messaged me about 70, 80 minutes into the game and it was like, bloody hell, do you have a set-piece taker or do you just lump it? Is it are your balls into the box <laughs> usually this bad? And we're like, I don't know what we're doing, to be honest, because Leicester's three centre-backs were just you know, smashing out every ball that we put in. And, you know, it weren't really working, was it? I mean, usually... Um, We've come up with a few different set piece routines, haven't we? You know, whether it's admitting um, it to the outside of the area or someone blocking off. But that game, we didn't really seem to do anything apart from just float a ball into the box. Um, so, yeah, it wasn't the best, really. It kind of lacked a bit of imagination. Um, so that was a bit bit of a worry. <laughs> I think it's sad, isn't it? Because with supporting Lees, really, every time we get a corner, I never really get that excited for it. I'm under the assumption that we're probably not going to do much with it. Again, with three kicks, isn't it? I know it sounds quite negative to say, but I don't really get too excited when Leeds get a corner. We just need to give a special mention to the Cookstown Cafu as well. I think he's, he's been absolutely 
phenomenal. And my, my mate texted me actually uh, during the Leicester game and said, what position does Stuart Dallas play? Because he's literally everywhere. He literally <laughs> is. And I think if you looked at his heat map after every game, and the only thing he doesn't touch on the pitch is the, is the corner spot. It's it's unbelievable. And, and again, I think his goal, he 100% meant it. It had a bit of a Steve Warnock about him against Yeovil, except it wasn't a dead ball. <laughs> and it wasn't wind-assisted. So I don't know if it is anything to do with uh, Warnock's uh, whipper against uh, Yeovil, but it you know, definitely reminded me. But... Yeah, I think he's got better and better, and I think um, I think with Dallas over the years, people have always said, you know, he's not really a first first in the well, he's not really good enough for the first team. It's spent a lot of time with a lot of managers coming in, not really giving him a chance, and I think his versatility has obviously been shown in abundance since Bielsa came in, and he's a safe pair of hands, and it's it's been shown this week. Probably the only shining light we've really had this week, if I'm honest. This season, we've partnered with The Terrace so that you can get a discount off all your Leeds United merch. Pick your items, pop them in your basket, and at the checkout, add the code RITGK15 to get 15% off your goods. That's RITGK15. Tag us on social and let us know what you thought. So at this point, we're going to jump on the blower and call our under-23s reporter, Chris McMenemy, and get an update on how well they've been performing so far this season. How's it going? Not too bad, mate. Not too bad. But yeah, on on the line now we've got Chris, who's um, kind of our under twenty three reporter this season. He's done quite a few, some really good articles actually on on the under twenty threes and looking at the progression of the, the the team overall and 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 some individual players, which has been really good to to see and to keep up to date with. Really. Well, thanks for having me. Um, it's been it's been a pretty good start to the season. I mean, you have to take into account that they're playing up a level this year. Like l- last year, it was. The um the sort of the third tier where it's Premier League two, and it's been quite a sort of transitional year as well. You've got players like Robbie Goff, uh, Alfie McCallum, and Matthias Bogus all going out on loan. Uh, Jordan Stevens as well. So and a lot of summer recruitment. Like I've been talking about uh, Sam Greenwood, Cody Dramy, and uh, Joe Gelhart most specifically. Um, who've all been brilliant. You know, I think in terms of the recruitment. Over the summer, the biggest thing has been like last year. It was sort of a scattergun approach. So the last couple of years with Victor Orta and the recruitment team at Leeds, it's been a bit of a scattergun approach. And you know, for every Pascal strike, there's four or five others you never hear of again. Um, but Joe Gelhart has settled in brilliantly. I mean, sort of after lockdown, you saw him getting game time for Wigan. He he looked great for them scored that he only scored one goal but it was it was a fantastic goal in that 8-0 thrashing over Hull so he was probably the one I was most excited about coming into the season and with good reason um, he scored four goals already so far uh, two of them have been from the penalty spot but uh, the two solo goals have been good enough that I've written at least one if not two articles now about him but overall it's been a pretty positive start to the season. I know everyone's probably freaking out about the Newcastle game on Friday, but if you look at it, I mean, first game of the season, 4-0 loss at Stoke, and things look, didn't look great. They didn't play very well, but since then, they've settled in. Uh, all, you know, um, Drew at Wolves, then a 3-1 win over Sunderland, which, you know, is a good result. They had a red card later on. Sam Greenwood scored a hat-trick that day. We'll get on to him in a minute. Overall, very good. They're tied at the top of the table. 
but they've played a game more than everyone else. And I think by the time the games sort of uh, align and everyone's got to the same amount of games, the, uh, they'll probably be sort of more in the chasing pack. But we'll, I think we'll start more so at the Newcastle game. So, yeah, it's not been a great week. I think conceding four goals has been become sort of a cool thing for the club at the minute. Um, it seems four, that way, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, four on Monday. Four, actually, the, the Leeds United women last Sunday, they conceded four, knocked out of the cup. The first team conceded four on Monday. And then the 23s, not as bad, 4-3, but when you're 3-0 up after half an hour, it's not great. And I think it's, you know, it's going to happen at this level with, you've got a team that love to play out from the back, probably probably to a fault. You know, they, you, you, if you watch any of the highlights, you'll see a lot of the goals they can see seem to come from them trying to play a pass when it's not on at the back and they end up giving the ball away. But... It happens at this level. The you know, def- defences aren't usually as good, which is probably why Leeds are scoring so many goals as well, partly. But Friday, you know, um, 3 0 up after 30 minutes, as I said, conceded just before half time, 3 1 at half time, looking good. They would have gone top of the table at that point into the weekend ahead of Middlesbrough. But second half, I don't know, I, I just think they lacked a bit of leadership. I think with, with guys like Gotts, going out on loan, and you've got Shackleton, who's sort of primarily in the first team now. Um, there's a little bit of a leadership void. It's really quite a young team. I mean, there's no, there's not as many players. Last year, you would have had, like, Tyler Roberts coming back from injury and playing games in the years before. I mean, like, Izzy Brown, like, he only ever really kicked the ball for, for the under-23s. Um, whereas this year, like, especially in midfield, you've got Jack Jenkins, who... You know, he was with the first team on Saturday, but um, more so because of Jamie Shackleton's injury. I, I agree, Chris. I think just to touch on the kind of leadership point that you made as well, it's a good, it's yeah. a good point to make. I think you look at Robbie Gotts; he's gone off to, to the likes of Lincoln, and they're a great, great club. You know, we've seen David Summer go there in the past, and you know, he yeah. came back a completely different player for yeah. But I think you're right. You like to Stevens, Bogus, and and Gotts have all gone out to to get that kind of league experience, and it is that lack of maybe a light leadership and maturity in there as well. But just, just yeah. on that, who are the under-23s do you think sh- you know should be considered for first-team football? And I'm pretty sure I know who you're going to mention. But, yeah, yeah. Um, um, yeah. Well, not just. I mean, jo- Joe Gellhart is my number one. I think he's a diamond. You know, I think he's a fantastic player. Um, he's kind of... I was trying to think of a way to compare him. If you hadn't watched the game, players of the last couple of years... And he's kind of sort of the best bits of Kamar Roof and Samu Saez. So, like, he, he likes to run with the ball like Saez would always have, you know, really close control in and around the box. You know, you don't know whether he's going to thread a ball through the eye of a needle or he's just going to lash one in. But he's also got that strength as well, which is something that you don't really see. I, I know he's primarily a number nine, but he seems to be playing more in that number 10 role, but not sort of how Pablo Hernandez play it, more as like a second striker. And he's just, it's just all determination with him. I, I think it's really, really impressive to see someone so young, like he's, he is only 18. Um, apart from him though, uh, Cody Drame was on, I actually didn't know that mm. this until today. He was, he travelled to the first team yesterday. Right, um, yeah, yeah, he did. It's kind of, it's, his tra- transfer's kind of flown under the radar. 
this summer. Um, Fulham weren't really that fussed on losing him, and Leeds were quite happy to take him, and you can see why. I mean, he is primarily a right back, and has been very good at right back, but you know, in this day and age, what's a right back anymore? You know, they're basically just a second winger, but he is fantastic defending. I think he's really. I know he got sent off earlier in the season in this Sunderland game, but he's really good defensively. He stands his man up whenever he can. Um, and you see that now he's away with the England underage sides. I think, though, Gelhart for me is the only one who's likely to get into the first team. You've got Sam Greenwood there as well. Greenwood spent the last four weeks injured, um, only came back. On Friday, they played the second half against Newcastle. I think but, um, I think with Gellart, there's there's been a lot of comparison to Wayne Rooney um, of all, of all people. And yeah. I think yeah, there, there is that question mark with the the kind of we needed a number ten, Pablo story that we've got going on at the moment. Yeah. And obviously Gellart is 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 seriously impressive in the twenty three. So I, I I agree, he'll be close. And against Sam Greenwood is the obvious second one that gets heavily spoke about. And Arsenal fans absolutely devastated to see him leave. The I think the under twenty three is when he got a hat trick. Sunderland game, the three one. Yeah, Arsenal fans were going absolutely mental. Why yeah. let him go? And uh, so that that was good to see. So it looks like he's knocking on the door. So the future is bright in that attacking positions. But I guess yeah. drama you've mentioned. But I think the midfield centre back we've talked about as well. And um, from a goalkeeping point of view. You know, do we look do we look strong in the under twenty no. threes from a keeping point of view? No, that's it's the one position that has kind of worried me. I think um, Danny Van den Heuvel has come in from Ajax in the summer. Um, hasn't really featured. It's been mostly Elia Capril, and I'm not exactly convinced with them. Um, it might be a bit harsh, but when you compare him to uh, Melier last year, like he was a much more accomplished goalkeeper. Uh, you saw it on Friday, the second goal for Newcastle was, I mean, is pretty bad. Sunday league football. Uh, balls coming into the box. Kenny, Noan Kenny is another one. Fantastic young, young player, only 17. He's there to head the ball away. But Capril calls for it. And then he, it looks like he loses it in the sun. Can't really tell, but it hits his ankles. And then he just takes out the striker and gives away a penalty. But yeah, thanks, mate. Really appreciate thanks, that. Thanks, Chris. thanks for having me on. Hi, I'm Paul Robinson, and when I'm not out on the golf course, I'm listening to Right in the Gary Kellys.com. On to Palace. Everyone excited. God, not another formula. <laughs> can't wait. <laughs> so, on to Palace, and it was another 4 1 defeat. I think let's address the elephant in the room and get the VAR decision out of the way first thing. Worst VAR decision ever? Yeah. <laughs> the least biased one. <laughs> you, you, can't, you can't score with your arm and I think no. Bamford made that point and it's it's ridiculous absolutely ridiculous, the game's gone and I think I think Gary Lineker even did a poll didn't he on his Twitter account and I think 75 maybe 78% of people that voted on his poll are completely against VAR and it should be scrapped because it, it's killing the game and it's, it's between fine margins as well and I'm not you, you know in hindsight it's easy to say it now and you know would, would that have made a difference Probably not. We, we probably would have lost 3-2, I don't know. But it's it's putting Palace under pressure at the time. Uh, it really would have done. And it's fine margins. And come the end of the season, could we be looking at VAR decision like that? 
because you've seen already they've changed the rules on the handball ruling this season with VAR and they're probably going to do the same after Bamford's incident and it's like how many times are they going to keep adapting it? Yeah, to agree. I've got to agree with just the main point that you can't score a goal with your arm. I don't know how your arm can be offside. And he was clearly pointed where he wanted the ball and um, it just, yeah, it was ridiculous, completely ridiculous. You can't, you can't score a goal with your arm, not your sleeve. So for that to be offside is just insane. And yeah, it's ruining the game. When they initially brought VAR in, the reason for it was so we could have more goals in the Premier League. And all it's doing is just taking goals away and giving out staff penalties. And yeah, it's just, game's gone mad now. You watch a game and you know it's not a handball, you know it's not a offside, but you say like in today's standards, it is now. And it's just ridiculous. It's when they got that bloody line-up, wasn't it? You know, to measure where it was on his arm and it's like oh actually you can score with that part of your shoulder or whatever and just like I think oh, if you can't yeah <laughs> if you're being that anal about it then yeah it shouldn't count that's I mean, what the mad it's coming down to I think for me I mean it's easy to say this after all this but I think it should just be used for clear and obvious errors and that is not a clear and obvious error it's like it's not even an error it's just you, you've been so nitpicky about it and technicalities when football isn't really about technicalities. It's about entertainment and stuff. And that's not entertaining in whatsoever. Someone getting a line and drawing it up and say, oh, he's a millimetre offside in the, by the laws of the books. You know, it's just it's ridiculous. So I think if he's a yard offside, then fair enough. Or if he's, you know, if his foot's offside, then I get it. But not when he's pointing, because if he's if he doesn't point, He's not offside, and all he's doing is saying where he wants the ball. You know, people have done that for years. So, for me, it's just the the way they use it is wrong. The laws are wrong. I think someone just needs to really have a... Oh, well, I, I don't even know. I, I think it's just going to be broken constantly. I can see them end up, probably ended up scrapping it eventually if it ends up like this. But, yeah, I think... Like Matt said, it probably might not have changed the result, but they certainly wouldn't have gone 2-0 up, um, you know, because they got that free kick, what, a few minutes later, didn't they? Um, so, yeah, I think, it, you know, it did affect us badly in that first half, I think, until, obviously, Bamford did manage to pull one back. I think, you know, the heads went down for a little bit um, because decisions like that, when they go against you, they're bound to. I think the big thing for me is that Obviously, they've got the technology to help them, but the decision still comes down to the interpretation of a single person, just like it mm. was the referee on the pitch. But actually, when you look at the image that he was given, the technology isn't high quality enough for him to make a qualified decision at the end of it. It's, it's a guess because from the angle he was given, you can't actually see where the um, defender to the right of Bamford is. And actually, when you do see it from the other angle, he's he is much further forward than Bamford. So I think... You know, it's still down to the interpretation of a single person, but the quality of the technology just isn't good enough to be having it in the Premier League at the moment as it is. Yeah, exactly. I fully, I fully agree with you. And I think if you look as well, the camera angle is behind play as well. It's at an angle. I think, I think it's Chelsea. Maybe was it um, the League Cup final last year, year before? I think it was. There was a. a there were, I think the VAR just come in at the time, or they were trialing it in the in the cup games, if, if I remember rightly. And there was a clear offside given. It looked it looked genuine. But what Chelsea had done is they put a camera on the halfway line and three quarters down the pitch of their three of their own cameras there. And their camera showed that he was clearly on side with the lines that they produced. 
And it's the fact that if you look at the Palace one on Saturday, it's actually behind play. And as you say, you can't see. I think it's Sacco, is it, as well? I think it's Sacco's right leg, I believe, is, is, is blocked by, by his arm or his Bamford's head. And it isn't simply all they do is see Bamford's arm and say he's offside. But as we've said, he's, 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 he can't score your arm. It's not gaining an advantage at all. He's clearly just showing to click where he wants the ball. It's a natural thing that you're taught from a young age as a footballer. What we say now, that kids coming through the academies, you no longer put your arms out to point where you want the ball. And when you're defending, stick him behind your back or put him, put him in your pocket. Because that's that's what we're going to be teaching the kids of, of, of tomorrow now because of VAR. Yeah, that's that's what I mean, though, in terms of like the way that it's applied. It's just not applied correctly, really. It's like, if, if that goal was given and goes in, no one looks at that and think, he's offside there. Um, you know, no one even, I mean, I didn't even bat an eyelid. I was wondering, well, what, the check-in? Are they checking a foul? Because he's not offside. Um, so I think it's, it's just baffling, really. And I think the longer it goes on, I mean, there's more controversy with it than there was without it, which should not be the case. It was brought in to stop controversy. And I think it's just, it's making everything worse. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, exactly the same. When they first said, you know, checking the goal, we was all like, well, what for? Like, what happened? We have no idea why. And obviously, yeah, possible offside. And then when you saw the freeze frame of his, when he was pointing, we was like, no way. You know, that's obviously not an offside at all. It's his hand. And then, yeah, they ruled it offside. And yeah, it just, it would have, yeah, it would have changed the game, I think. And we would have been drawing then. And yeah, as Dan said, it wouldn't have been, probably wouldn't have gone 2-0 up then, Palace, but. So you can't change it now. Yeah, it's just ruining the game, bar. I mean, you watch a game now and you know, there's checking possible goal and you watch this possible handball, possible offside from about 15 different angles. Eventually, one of them angles might make it look like it was a handball or offside. And Yeah, it's not... Yeah, I, I agree with Matt. Just scrap it, get rid of it. It's causing more issues than it's solving. And if that's what he's doing, then he needs to go. I think beyond that as well, though, you've got to look at... Were we unlucky against Palace? The run of play, if you look at it, well, one thing for sure, it definitely wasn't a 4-1 game for Palace. When you look at the, the amount of possession that we had, the amount of chances that we had, you know, it's an unlucky scoreline, it really is. But the history books won't reflect that. The history books will reflect two 4-1 defeats back-to-back. Doesn't look great at all. But when you break it down and you have a look, you know, Dan scored from a, a set piece, you know, poor marking, unlucky marking, whatever it may be. Meslier, if you just would have been a little bit quicker, could have probably tipped that away and, and, and probably saved it on a good day. But then you look at Eze's goal as well. You know, it's postage stamp. Absolutely phenomenal. You know, no keeper in the world is going gonna, is gonna to save that. And then Costa's own goal, it was a freak. It really was. So when you combine all them all together, and then we won't talk about Ayu's goal. But you look at the grand scheme of things and you look at the whole package prior to Ayu's goal. And yeah, we were unlucky. We really were. And it could have gone anywhere. And we made Palace look quite decent. Like Palace never score four goals at home. I look at that Sheffield United result and I think we need to pull off a performance like that. Be ugly, be scrappy, get results. I think if you want to go out and entertain every single game, you've got to get found out. You are. And at the moment, I'm a little bit worried that you know we've had two spankings now. And is it going to be a continued trend? Or are we going to start scrapping out results? Because that's what we need to do. 
Well, we've now conceded the most goals in the league. And obviously we've got Calvin to come back who will protect our centre-backs. But do we need to seriously consider that Llorente may well come in for Cooper once he's fully fit? Because for Ayu's goal, like when you actually look at the stills of the defending for his goal, it's atrocious for a 5v3. So I think, obviously, for whatever reason, there's something not quite right these past couple of games where communication or whatever it is isn't working. And we have to be able to survive these games without Calvin moving forward. So I don't know, is it Cooper? Am I being a little bit harsh on Cooper? Is he just in a blip? Like, what's the situation with the defence, do you think? Well, I think that goal you mentioned, Vic, was... um, I wouldn't blame Cooper for that one, but I agree. It was defensive shambles, that goal, in terms of Alioski's just watching him. Um, Ayu right in front of him, and then he's played the ball, and he's like, oh, shit, I'm meant to be there. Um, you know, and you can't switch off like that. And I think, you know, it's in the Premier League, you will get punished. Um, it's, everyone says it, and it's because it's true. And I think, in terms of Urente, I think, well, judging by the last two games, I think we've got to consider that he's got to come in. He's, you know, he's a first team for Spain. I think he played and marked Ronaldo um, in a 0 0 draw, didn't he? So he can clearly defend. Um, so. I'd, I think we've got to consider these changes um, because if we are going to push Dallas into midfield, for example, we've got rid of Douglas. Is Alioski our left back? Because that scares the crap out of me if he is. Because um, defensively, I don't think he's good enough, um, in all honesty. Um, whilst he offers us something going forward. Um, but yeah, I think it's concentration as well. Um, I think Cooper did an interview before saying they can't switch off. And, you know, they did switch off a couple of times against Palace and even Palace are good enough to hurt you. You know, I thought that Eze spoke about him scoring the free kick. He, he completely dominated us. You know, and we all focus focusing on Zahar and, you know, Zahar did well as well. But, you know, we struggled to contain Eze. Um, and maybe that would have been different if Phillips was fit. But it's like Vic said, I think we've got to protect the centre-backs better because the last two games when they've been exposed... You know, they have made errors, which is, you know, worrying defensively. Yeah, I have to agree that fourth goal against Palace kind of summed up the week of our results. Is This is the Premier League, not the Championship. And obviously Cooper will go down as a club legend. He's our captain when we got promoted to, back to the Premier League. Watching some of the recent games, I'm just not sure if he's got the pace to be a constant Premier League player. I think, yeah, we need to give Lorente. Obviously, he's not had a shot yet with his Lorente yet. And I'm looking forward to seeing him play for us. And I'd say right now, yeah, I think Cooper would be the player I'd probably drop for him. Uh, and, yeah, there was good communication issues going on. The goals were conceding. A lot of them are sloppy. Shouldn't be going in. Um, yeah, Alanoski was to blame for that fourth goal. As Dan said, he literally just watched that go in. I think um, with the first one as well, even from the set piece, I think Cock and Cooper jumped with Dan. And... Dan was all over that header. He beat both our centre-backs in the air. I know every now and then the other centre-back is allowed to score and stuff, but it's just a bit worrying that we had both centre-backs on him and none of them got near him winning that header. Um, And, you know, we always know that set-pieces are a little bit of a Achilles heel for a time. So, you know, and you just think forward, you know, when we played Burnley, who was struggling for goals, you know, they're not doing great. I know it's a while till we play them, but set pieces could be a problem then. So, you know, we can't 
give away cheap goals in this league because you could probably get away with it a bit in the championship, but not here. We've got to at least make them work for the goals. Positive note, there are there are positives. We're still continuing to create chances, and Bamford again scored two great goals. However, there is a however. Is there a time when we're in those situations where we're 3-1 down and we continue to play the same way? We're still pushing to score. We're still throwing everyone forward. Is there a point where we actually need to manage the game better and be a little bit more conservative in our play? Because let's be honest, goal difference could be really important come the end of the season. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, I think you know, we again, I think we touched upon it earlier, but I think the Sheffield United result was a, was a key one. You're winning um, 1-0. And I remember the 93rd minute was trying to score a second. And it's just that kind of clever kind of tactical now of just killing the game off. And yeah, you're right. We were 3-1 down and we'd never changed the way we, we, we played from minute one. And there is that adaptability that you, that you need you need in games. And I think we need to quickly, quickly get that. Um, because like I touched upon earlier, my fear is we're just going to get a few good idings this season if we don't change the way we play in certain situations. Uh, yeah, um, I think it's easy for us to say, yeah, we should um, game manage better. But I think we all know that's probably not going to happen. I think we just need to be a bit more street smart thing. Um, you know, we ca- if we get hit on the break in the 85th, 88th minute, pushing for an equaliser, fair enough. But we're getting hit on the break in like the 50th, 60th minute, you know, and it's killing the game. Like the game was dead. Um, against Palace after 70 minutes because we were just a little bit too gung-ho. Um, you know, at 3-1, I still felt we were in the game and you usually do feel like we're in the game even if we're losing because we usually have a lot of the ball. Um, but yeah, like you say, we create, the positive thing is we do create chances and Bamford, you know, whilst he missed a couple at Leicester, I thought he was he was very good against Palace. He, he did all he could do, really. He scored his, both his goals. He didn't get a lot of service after that. Um, so that is that's a big positive. I thought Click was outstanding um, after a dodgy game against Leicester. I thought he did really well, set up uh, both of Bamford's goals. Um, you know, he kind of ran out of steam in the last ten minutes, but because he was probably doing the work of three men in there. So, but yeah, I think I, I do think we need to manage the game better. But um, I think a few of that just comes through. Premier League experience. I think we'll get better at it as the season goes on, hopefully. We put it out on Twitter to see what fans are thinking about the current setup and what we need to do to get back to winning ways. So we've got a few comments. Um, Luke Horseman staying positive. He says we're a newly promoted team with £70 million worth of injured talent, so we should pick up after the break when they're back. Will Saxton is saying that we need to stop making careless errors in defence. We're desperate to see Phillips back in the side and hopefully Urente will get his chance when fully fit. Mark thinks it was a mistake not to invest in a top-class keeper in this window. And Sean agrees with all of the above and also says that it's important that we optimise Rafinha, who seems to be a real talent. What do you guys think of those comments? I probably would agree maybe with the goalkeeper comment. Obviously, he's done an outstanding job for the majority of the season, but he has made some mistakes. I think conceding eight goals in a week, unfortunately, is a goalkeeper that you look at first. Um, but then I think we struggled with that goalkeeper position really since Schmeichel left us. I'd say we've never really had a top-class goalkeeper. Um, and yeah, Rafinha, I'm excited to see him play. I've had him waiting on my bench for my fantasy football team since start of season. 
cannot wait for him to get playing for us, get some first team action. I think hopefully he might be a game changer for us. Um, and yeah, we are. It's easy to forget we're missing Farshaw as well. Agreeing with the injury comment, is it from Mark? We are Who? missing. To, is it Mark who made the injury comment about missing players? Well, yeah, yes, I'll just say no, of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, we've got that missing player. He's out there somewhere. But obviously, yeah, we are missing. Some, I think Farshaw could be. Was it the Neil Warnock comment saying that injured player? Oh, no, that was a lone comment. Ignore me. But yeah, he could be a new player if he comes back. It's just obviously he's had a year out for injury. So he could also come back. But yeah, you've I just think... given us a Ken Bates quote there, have you, Kayleigh? I'm pretty sure I that, think is Ken... that, one, is... Yeah. that is a Ken Bates quote. A player, well, a player... players are new signings. Well, in... returning into players are a new signing as well. That is a definitely <laughs> Ken Bates quote there from you. I want to see. I've got to agree with him. Like, yeah, hopefully Farshaw <laughs> comes back and he's a brand new signing for us. Because uh, obviously he could have filled that for Lewis role quite easily. Yeah. I've got a tag a topic there, apologies. <laughs> um, yeah, I do think January transfer window, obviously, I'm not sure how transfer books are looking. I think we do need to look at getting an experienced goalkeeper in. That was a key first time that our club is done. Before I forget, we need your support. We love bringing you this podcast and writing content about Leeds United over at writeatthegarrykellys.com, but in all honesty, it ain't cheap to run. That's why you could help us out by giving us a coffee. Well, the cost of one at least. All you have to do is head over to our page, buy me a coffee forward slash R-I-T-G-K to donate the price of your espresso kick and help us keep this great content going. Thank you. This week, we bring you a Leeds United fan from the land of the free and what a week they've had. We welcome Bailey Stacks to Leeds around the world, all the way from Napaville, Chicago. So Bailey, let's kick things off. Why Leeds? From my standpoint, um, Leeds is, is a very unique club. Uh, growing up in the United States, I guess the background that I can tell you is there wasn't a lot of uh, EPL particular coverage when I was growing up. Um, I'm 34. I was born in 86. And uh, as time went by and I started to get into the sport myself, my wife also plays, um, you know, you only saw maybe major games, maybe Champions League finals, uh, World Cup, big events. But it was very hard to catch the games uh, regularly um, growing up, especially in the 90s and into the into the 2000s. And um, I actually uh, have a wonderful friend. Uh, his name is Jez Rogers and his family and himself uh, are total Leeds fans, and they happen to live in the same neighborhood uh, that I grew up in. I'm originally from the state of Arkansas and have lived there most of my life. And uh, I actually tried to fit in. There was a lot of people watching games over at his house and, and things of that sort. And I just remember grabbing online, going to like soccer.com and just grabbing a popular jersey, throwing it on and uh, coming in his house. And he looked at me and he just said, what are you wearing? And I told him and I, I said, well, this was Chelsea Jersey. You know, I'm trying to fit in. You know what's going on? You know, they're popular at the time. He goes, no, 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 no. <laughs> He's like, you need to do your own homework. And uh, it was great because I'd never really looked at it like that. And uh, he actually explained to me a little bit of background of more more than just leads. But you know how it is. You can't help but fall in love with Leeds. I mean, the, the history and, and the fans and everything. And uh, I naturally, you know traded that jersey right away for a Leeds kit and uh I in 2005 really just opened my eyes to a whole another world um unfortunately you know we were in the process of going down 
and going down further, but, um, you know, I was willing to ride that road and it was, it was, it's been wonderful. Obviously it's paid off big, uh, only knowing, you know, so many lows and, uh, now back in the high times. So, um, that's kind of my initial story. Who is your favorite player? I mean, it doesn't have to be American, obviously, but just who made an impact for you while supporting Leeds? Oh gosh, a number. Um, I've always had a soft spot for the older players, obviously, with the history. Um, A name that I think with Leeds fans gets a a decent amount of recognition, but across the world really has kind of slowly been forgotten over time. John Charles was just Mm. a force, right? I mean, third third runner up in the Ballon d'Or. I mean, I mean, what can you ask for? I mean, a heck of a player. I know he didn't necessarily claim all of those accolades at Leeds, but he definitely started his longer journey with Juventus uh, through his development at Leeds. <clears throat> so that's one that I always stick out to. But in the now, I, I just love Calvin Phillips. What a wonderful person. What a wonderful player. What a joy to watch. And, uh, you know, it seems just like a lovely, lovely individual and, and a great family. So let's look at like memorable moments for you. So obviously everyone else their standout moments as a fan. And I guess being um, a fan over in the state, you've probably got some more unique stories. What sticks out for you? Uh, I can pick a few um, moments. I think firstly, uh, I just want to say the first match I attended, um, that mm. was uh, in 2018. It was a 2-2 draw, Derby County. Uh, we had... Um, so Bamba and Chris Wood uh, were the goal scorers, and I believe uh, our dear friend Steve Evans was manager. Um, oh. <laughs> uh, I actually days. got to, yeah, yeah, I actually got to attend that in the South Stand, and uh, you know, it, it wasn't a full house, obviously, but it was, you know, I, I would dare say there was probably twenty five thousand people or more there, and uh, right. you know, that was the first time I heard that. You know, you you hear it on TV, but you, you know, you don't yeah. feel it. And, and, you know, the big roar a minute the goal scored and uh, and all the singing and the chants and everything. It was it was great. Um, I, it's something I'll, I'll never forget, obviously. And, and uh, you know, it was good to see some of the younger players. There. I think Lewis Cook may have played his uh, pretty much his last game at that point. I think Sam Byram was was there briefly. Um, but, you know, it was uh, it was certainly a good time out and, and something I won't forget. That's for sure. Right, let's now let's go on to your all-time Leeds United eleven. So, I mean, we've got four four two down there, but feel free to tweak it as you are and go through any age that you want. It's basically your your Leeds eleven. You can do what you want with it. So, I'll, I'll pass it over to you. All right, I'll give it my best shot. Um, so I went with a four one four one, and and firstly. It's very hard for the manager selection. You know, it's it's very hard not to put Don Revy in there. Um, mm. But I kind of took a step back and, and thought, well, what what if those players or a lot of those players were under Bielsa? How how would that go? And uh, I don't know. You know, I, you know, Jack Charlton would be having a cigarette after the you know, match or having a pint. Mm. You know, I don't I don't know if, how that would work. So, but for fun, I uh, decided to put Bielsa in as as the manager. Mm-hmm. Uh, in goal, uh, I mean, big Nigel Martin. I you know I didn't get to see him play, but obviously, you know, growing up around that era and hearing about him and seeing old clips, I mean, what a, what a force. Um, obviously, it's it's hard not to put um, 
you know, I know there's a bit of a stigma around Gary Sprague, but, uh, and, and he served very well, even though he, you know, when he had a, a flap or an error, it happened to cost dearly, but, um, you know, he certainly was a, a great goalkeeper as well, but I definitely, uh, went with Nigel Martin. Uh, he seems to be the man who can, who can make, command the area and, uh, and handle business. Yes. Uh, left back, I went with Paul Madeley. Um, you know, I think uh, Don referred to him historically as the Rolls Royce. So uh, why not have a Rolls Royce in your lineup? That's pretty uh, pretty easy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, not bad. Not bad. <clears throat> Center backs, uh, I went with Big Jack and, and Norman. Uh, I actually got to see uh, Norman at the, at the uh, Borough game. Oh, this past year, and uh, it was nice seeing him, obviously, before his passing. And, uh, you know, seeing him in person, I didn't realize how big he was. You know, you kind of mm-hmm. see, you know, the clips and stuff where he's like tall, lanky figure, but you don't know how, you know, until you see someone, you know, you don't understand it. And what a humble person, but what a player. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think people, and Eddie Gray swears up and down, people underestimate how good of a passer he actually was. So um, I think that would definitely help. Um, and, and the two complement each other, right? Norman yeah. doesn't mind running up, doing the passing. Big Jack doesn't mind doing, you know, clearances, headers, smashing people, you know, the worst. So <laughs> it's uh, it's definitely a good duo, and I decided to put them in. Yeah, nice. Uh, right back, I did go with Paul Rini just because it's it's Paul Rini, right? I mean, he, he handled business. He, he shut down George Best, um, you know, just a legendary figure and, and easy to go with. So this is where it gets a little bit fun. Um, as we step into midfield, uh, I have a mid three. I put Calvin in at central defensive midfield because of two reasons. Number one, he's very good. Number two, uh, you know, we really never had one, right? I mean, every major manager was like, you know, four, four, two, you're up and down. That's what you do. And, uh, even with Grayson, you know, we never really had anyone to just, I mean, Michael Doyle kind of, but I mean, you know, and sometimes kill Kenny, but no one really just like their job was to clean up and, and make tidy passes going forward and, and do some of the dirty work, but yet, you know, be involved in the, in the action. So, yeah. um, and then to compliment him, of course, it, you know, I put Billy Brimner and I put John Giles. I mean, you know, what can you else can you say about them? You know, heroes of Scotland and Ireland. I mean, arguably for Giles, probably the best player to come out of Ireland and, and probably the same for Billy with Scotland. Um, on the wings, uh, I went with Eddie Gray. I have uh, been fortunate to also meet Eddie Gray in my time. and seems a very wonderful person. And uh, the things that he did on the pitch were just immense. Um I must admit that Jack Harrison is probably the only other player we've had in a long time where you definitely would not see their footprints left in the snow uh, yeah. if they yeah. move around. And uh, and certainly uh, see Eddie as, as that character and, and someone that could get forward. I did not realize that Eddie uh, grew up playing uh, center midfield until he came to Leeds and got thrown into the uh, first team. So um, he made it very clear that he was kind of always the frustrated center midfielder because you know it would be i think he said maybe in like an fa cup game or something like that you know like an obscure game he would get he would get the opportunity to play back in central midfield but in general don was just like no i'll go out wide so (laughs) he never really got to play when he grew up uh playing that's interesting so and then i put peter lormer uh over on the right you know obviously another uh legendary figure 
Um, there's definitely other players that you can keep in mind for that. But, I mean, he scored so many goals, um, contributed so much. And, you know, if you needed a goal or if you needed to rattle the defense, you know, get the ball to his feet and just get out of the way because he's going to smash it and, you know, yeah. and see what happens. And then uh, up top, uh, John Charles, you know, I, I mentioned him earlier. Uh, this is definitely homage to him. I could have put Viduka, um, who definitely was great in the modern area uh, or era. I could have put a few other players. Uh, Alan Clark was great. But a lot of those players relied on having the two strikers or two attackers up top. So um, I think that John could have held the ship on his own. He could have held the ball up well. He could have moved people around. He can head the ball. And everything that Bamford is showing us today, I think he could have done and would have done it uh, in the in the Bielsa way and would have fit, fit the manager mentality there. Um, obviously, throughout this, I could have made a nod to some of my fellow Americans. I know a lot of people – Love and respect Eddie Lewis. Hated to see him go because I think Eddie really, really wanted to get Leeds immediately back up in the Premier League and and, yeah. and play. Well, going back to that team, I, I, I like it to be honest. I think you've sprinkled a bit of the modern modern magic on with obviously some giants of the Leeds United past. So I think I'm not probably not going to be the only one to say this, but I'd love to see that team play. But um, yeah, thank you for doing that. That's brilliant. Sure, and I, I just wanted to thank, say thank you to you guys with writing the Gary Kellys. I mean, it's a good podcast, and I really enjoyed my time. I just want to give a couple of special shout-outs to uh, the Rogers family, especially Jez Rogers. Um, he's recently lost his son in the past couple of years, and uh, you know that was another true Leeds fan in our small gathering that we had in Arkansas. And uh, what a wonderful family and great people that introduced me to the club. And, you know, I just wanted to say Leeds United itself has been such a warm club and has always welcomed people from all over the world. It's been it's been great to have the amazing football culture combined with the fantastic history. And I, and I really feel so blessed and fortunate to have been able to play, you know, a small part uh, like all other fans or, or be a part of the support that pushes the club forward and is welcome to all. And, and honestly, there really is no better place. So thank you for having me today. Hi, I'm Don Matteo. There's nothing more than I like doing when I'm sat in the rock bar, listening and writing to the GaryKelly.com. Right in the gallery. Right in the gallery. <laughs> you can edit that, can't you? So let's have a chat about Pablo Hernandez. He was taken off for Tyler Roberts against Leicester, just as he seemed to be kind of starting to pull the strings for us. And his reaction, obviously wasn't particularly he wasn't happy about the situation and that seems to be the reason why he was left out of the Palace squad yesterday so I guess firstly what are your thoughts on the sub and the reasons for it and secondly are we in a position to be sacrificing a player of Pablo's quality because of a heat of the moment reaction? I always assume when he gets subbed off it's for fitness reasons because is he 35 years old but then yeah, he was having a good match. I don't really know why he got brought off so early, but he's in Bresnan we trust. And he seems like a man of pride, doesn't he? You know, it's Janssen got punished. Now he's been punished before. A lot of our players have been punished for their attitude under him. Um, as far as seeing drop, I think realistically, end it day, no, he should have played him yesterday. Yeah, a bit frustrating that. I think we missed him. We clearly missed him in on the wing. But... I didn't actually think much of it at the time, not going to lie. I thought it looked a bit frustrated. I thought that would be the end of it. So, yeah, I was surprised to see that that was the reason why he apparently got dropped on Saturday. In terms of, like, his reaction, I just thought you see that from quite a lot of footballers when they get subbed. And it's like 
I think Vic said at the time it was um you know just starting to really come into the game and play really well. So I think I probably agree with Kelly. I think he probably got subbed just because he was coming back from an injury. That's the only thing I can think of because I'm not sure Roberts for Hernandez would be the right sub otherwise. Um, but you know if it was because he threw down the black armband or something or you know it's because he was kicking bottles. I don't I don't think it was because he was intent you know pulling a tantrum at it I think he was just annoyed because he was you know he's like I say he's a he'll take great pride in how he played and I think he, he would have known that he want he wants to influence the game and I think he was influencing the game at that point and you know obviously you don't know everything that's happened but I think to drop him for the Palace game to me was was harsh and I hope it's not a long-term thing because I think from a professional point of view, Hernandez has been really loyal to Leeds and you can tell he's a model professional as well. So, um, yeah, I was a bit surprised, I must admit. If you want to throw the, the armband, the black armband as well, uh, and kick the bottle, we won't be, we won't probably be talking about it. It's probably scored the goal against Leicester. We won't be having this conversation. But is it that classic kind of the, the back-to-back defeats, kind of player unrest? Always seems to happen, doesn't it? Always seems to be amplified as well. Um, but I agree with the guys, like they said. Hopefully, it's an internal issue that that doesn't escalate any further. I believe his wife's tweeted something about people not knowing the full story as well, which could signify there is more to it than what we obviously know. But hopefully, it is just a case of he has obviously picked an injury up pre-season. He's coming to this season with an injury. He hasn't necessarily started or, or made an impact when he's come on in the first few games, given a chance at Leicester, literally given time, uh, 70 odd minutes, I believe it was, obviously come off and save him, uh, get him quickly back up to match fitness, and obviously he's reacted. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's, he's, you know, he's a legend for this football club, what he's done, and it'll be quickly forgotten and we'll, we'll be able to see the, the old Pablo uh, sooner than rather than later, really. So our inbox has been full of fan mail raving about our next feature. That's right, the Wheel of Wotton is back. You should all know the rules by now, so we'll just get stuck straight in. Question number one is play it safe and get a result or play gung-ho and entertain? Matt. I'd like us to play it safe until Christmas just to get people off our back and get a few points on the board. I look, I've spoken about it before, but that the 1-0 Sheffield United win is, is the type of results that we need to build up in this division. And more importantly, get clean sheets as well. It's good to entertain, but not necessarily going to keep you up. Oh, right on 20 seconds. Boom. Right, question number two. How do we make sure we win without Calvin? Kayleigh. I need to think quickly over the next <laughs> question. <laughs> um, I think I know it sounds boring, but play more long balls. Um, obviously, we're clearly struggling in defence without Calvin Phillips. I think play less balls starting from the back, play down the wing more. Try and get him. <laughs> <laughs> that was a solid five seconds of panic at the start. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah that's. 
Yeah, that's a bit debatable, that one. There was about at least 18 seconds of silence on that one. <laughs> Just getting the tactical brain to try and work out how it's going to work. Yeah, it's like a big Sam interview, that. It's not an easy question to answer, to be fair. We've obviously struggled with it. So. If you get it wrong, the fans go mental on Twitter, don't they? So I was like, I don't want to anyone. <laughs> yeah, give Foreshaw a new right leg, perhaps. Foreshaw, of course. Should have said that. <laughs> Right, on to question number three. And this one is based on a supposed Leeds fan who rang in to talk sport on Saturday evening and suggested that uh, Leeds may fare better with Big Sam at the helm over Bielsa. So question number three is Big Sam or Bielsa? And it's done. Big Sam or Bielsa. Look, if it's a quiet night in and I want someone to talk methodically to me, it's Bielsa. Let's get the red wine out. We'll talk football. If I'm going out for a big night, I'm bringing Big Sam and his pint of wine with me, no doubt. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) Great answer. 15 seconds based on what you do on a date night. Oh, I might have to redo it then. No, I think that says it all. It's not even a football question, is it? I'm going to add the pings in now. So that's us for this week. It's been a tough seven days for Leeds United. And for once, the international break is very welcome. It's Arsenal up next for the Mighty White. So fingers crossed for three points and a bit of VAR good luck. Give us a follow on the socials at RITGK. Thanks for listening and we'll see you soon. Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.